welcome to the Five Aero podcast, the podcast dedicated to the global aviation industry. Today, we are joined by Peter Lynham, Graham Lake, and Chris Tarry to discuss the latest developments in the aviation industry. Hi, gents. Hope you're all well. Hi, Andrew. Hello. You're very well. Thank you. Now, a slight change in the format this week. Um, there have been so many industry announcements since our last episode that we're just going to dedicate the whole episode to, to the news. Um, so if you're okay, gents, we're going to get straight into it and get started. There is so much to talk about this week. We're going to look at Gatwick's announcement on its catastrophic passenger numbers, Michael O'Leary's forecast for the recovery curve, the authorization of the Boeing 737 MAX, and Emirates' announcement that it's going to fulfill its outstanding orders on the A380. We're also going to touch on the unfortunate news around Norwegian Air and that it's filing for administration. But before we do that, let's go straight hot off the press. Chris has just come back where he has been virtually attending IATA's AGM, where Brian Pierce, the chief economist, was presenting. Chris, do you want to give us an overview of what he was saying and what the feel of that conference was? Yeah, surely, Andrew. Um, it was uh, very interesting in a, a lot of respects and uh, a recognition from the first instance that uh, it was a sign of the times that here was the aviation industry, which uh, uh, billed itself very much as the business for freedom, uh, having to meet virtually. And I must admit, when uh, it was going to be um, uh, a conference held in Amsterdam, I was very much looking forward to attending it. But I think what we've got to look at is not just really what Brian had to say, but others there too. And uh, it was Alexandre Juniak's uh, final um, conference as Director General of IATA, as the news came out yesterday uh, about his retirement. We're going to talk about that a little bit long, uh, a little bit further on. Uh, we also had Karsten Spohr, who's chair of the Board of Governors, um, making some very interesting observations and perspectives about how he saw it and the issues. And then almost, you know, as a very sort of short uh, piece at the end or towards the end, we had Brian setting out the latest figures that also were published today. And I think if we look at it, wasn't too much new there. Um, and in terms of um, the, the current forecast for the losses this year, 118 billion. Um, but if we look at it more in terms of revenue, um, the revenue forecast before was something around $876 billion uh, for the uh, industry in 2020. Uh, the forecast now is $340 billion. And it's quite interesting. It sort of uh, took me back to rules of thumb that I used to use looking at the uh, relationship between nominal value GDP and uh, airline revenue. And Brian's view is that next year, uh, airline revenue may be equivalent to about half of 1% of nominal value GDP. Now, if we use that and we project it forward, it sort of suggests that we're looking at somewhere, I'm, I'm, I'm using the IMS figures for nominal value GDP, somewhere between 460 and 470 billion uh, dollars of revenue uh, for next year. And if we aggregate it forward and compare it to what it was going to be before COVID-19, then you can come to the reasonable conclusion that over the period to 2024, then airline revenues are going to be something like $1.7 trillion lower than they might have been. Now, to put that into context, in uh, nominal dollars, that's about the size of the Canadian economy. And then you look at the multipliers of you know probably every $4 for every uh, dollar of aviation revenue, then you're looking at something that's probably twice, uh, in terms of economic impact or economic loss, twice the size of uh, the German economy over the next um, few years. Now, what they're also saying, in, and again, nothing really new here, that we're not going to see a rapid recovery even with vaccines. Vaccines are seen as an important step, but testing even more so. And here, uh, the view was that it didn't matter if there was a restriction or there was quarantine, basically it had the same effect, that it stopped people travelling, and indeed something we've all talked about before on the, on the podcast uh, um, previously. But um, what we see uh, on what IATA sees is a recovery towards the back end of next year uh, and into 2022, 
but uh, in terms of cash flow, uh, cash burn right up until next year. Now, the inevitable consequence of that is that we are going to see more airlines fail. And again, that's something we have talked about before. There's got to be more equity coming into these businesses. And although we've got a slightly brighter um, uh, environment, uh, against mm. almost like a rising tide uh, with the vaccine and, and, and a warmer feeling towards uh, air travel, yeah, there's still a number of airlines that are going to fail to get that equity. It cannot continue to be debt financed. And uh, unfortunately, we will see more failures. But that also presents more opportunities for others who are in the market already, perhaps with lower costs or a different model to come in, and also the case for new model airlines to um, uh, emerge. So a fascinating couple of hours, but uh, quite different from the normal IATA conference, which goes on for about two and a half days. Uh, and uh, obviously, you miss out on the networking because there was one conference at one time, uh, but it was handled very well in terms of taking questions from uh, airline delegates and putting things to the vote. So in terms of what's new, not a lot. Maybe we're at the bottom, uh, but there's still quite a long way uh, to go before we get anywhere close uh, to where we were in 2019. But that said, uh, as we've always said, you've got to look at it at the company level uh, and not at the industry level. And we're going to see companies recover at different times in different markets. And uh, if I'm an investor, I'm not looking at the industry. I'm looking at what's going on at the company level. Chris, uh, just a couple of follow-ups on that. Um, what was the tone? What was the the feel of it like? Was it was it optimistic, pessimistic? I imagine it blended the two. And then the announcement around Willie Walsh, what was the, the consensus around that appointment? I think uh, if we look at it, it was increasingly realistic. And I think it was balanced in uh, in almost all respects. And we had, in addition to Alexander Juniak, we had um, the head of ICAO, who was sort of outlining what ICAO and IATA were doing, attempting. One of the key things, which I perhaps didn't mention before, is this, this absolute message about getting an internationally agreed standard for testing. And so if you get tested in one country, it enables you to get into another country. There was talk about the IATA uh, travel passport. Um, but again, uh, another speaker was the head of uh, the WHO. And my interpretation, what he said was you can have a travel passport if the disease is vaccinatable, um, which may be a word I've made up or I, I misheard. Um, <laughs> but uh, what we need is something to free it up. And again, it's things we've t all talked about on these podcasts before. But, um, you know, a realization that here is an industry that has bounced back before. This is quite different. The recovery curve is going to take longer. Um, the dislocation is still uh, to follow through. But it's one where, um, you know, the main, the main focus was on it's got to be sustainable aviation. Uh, it's got to be financially sustainable. It's got to be safe. And there's got to be enough capacity, was one of the comments from ICAO, um, in terms of uh, um, airspace. So, you know, some of the issues will come back and they come, and as uh, we've, we've mentioned before, it's not a universal homogeneous sort of recovery. It's going to recover at different times. Asia is going to cover, recover much more quickly. There was a lot of talk about cargo and the importance of cargo uh, and where we have seen uh, volumes um, now about 8% below what they were uh, a year ago, but yields are significantly greater. Um, for some airlines, it's important, uh, but, for other, um, but for most other airlines, it, it's only a drop in the ocean in terms of offsetting the loss on the passenger side. So realistic and um, you know, no shirking away from how difficult it's going to be and uh, that we're going to see more airlines fail as we go through the next few months, particularly as we get, I think, and, and this is my opinion, not the IR to view, as we move towards the back end of next year. In terms of Willie, yes, it was very well received, um, and uh, he made a, a, a very sort of a clear speech uh, about um, 
what he was going to do and to take the industry forward um, uh, and take the industry body forward. Uh, and I think we'll see some changes around uh, advocacy uh, and the approach, but um, certainly very well received. Karsten Spohr, the CEO of Lufthansa, and uh, Peter Elbers, who's the CEO of KLM, were said that they were both pleased not to no longer have to compete with Willie, but to be able to work with him, which uh, I think was a, was a very nice touch indeed. There's another angle here, Andrew, if I may, um, that that Chris hasn't mentioned, and that's the change of culture that I think is likely to uh, accompany Willie Walsh as Director General of IATA. Um, You will know that Willie's an Irishman. He comes from a background of CEO of Aer Lingus and then British Airways and then the holding company above British Airways, IAG. And all through those tenures, he's been uh, an executive who has overseen significant uh, efficiency drives and cost cutting. And I think it's likely that uh, given the state of the industry as a whole, that you'll see something similar applied to the, the IATA organization going forward and perhaps a little more robustness in terms of the way that it's approaching um, some of its peer organizations in uh, the industry, whether that relates to airport performance or the ANSP performance. And uh, In the latter case, the ANSPs in Europe at least are gathered together under the Eurocontrol banner, the uh, 41 or two countries that uh, are members of Eurocontrol, which is also led by another Irishman, Eamon Brennan, uh, who had a very strong reputation as leader of IAA, the Irish Aviation Authority, prior to joining Eurocontrol. And again, he's very much a market-driven efficiency kind of uh, individual. And I think uh, the combination of these two Irishmen uh, working to drive the industry through the inevitable restructuring that's following the pandemic, I think uh, is is a good sign that uh, things will move as the industry as a whole needs them to do. So all in all, the, the, the arrival of Willie, I think, is, is uh, to be welcomed. And that's not a reflection on his predecessor at all. It's just a, a, a change of uh, culture, if you like. Um, and uh, I, I think we'll see some significant changes uh, fairly quickly, actually. There are obviously huge challenges for the industry, as as Chris and Graham have just outlined, and it will be interesting to see whether IATA's predictions and the role that IATA will play in that recovery. Coming specifically to that, Peter, we've had some sobering news today from London Gatwick, and and they've said that they're expecting to only process 200 passengers today uh, compared to 100,000 this same time last year. Shave Ice, the CEO of Virgin, was in the press today. What was he saying? Well, I guess, Andrew, he was trying to um, dampen down some of the understandable enthusiasm which met the government's announcement today that people coming back from high-risk areas where there is no travel corridor established At the moment, uh, we have to quarantine in the UK for 14 days, and the government's now said that it can replace that with an initial five-day quarantine after which you take a test. Uh, And if the test is negative, you're free to go about your normal business. And actually, that five days, you can consider that in certain circumstances to be even less because day one is the day that you travel. So if you were on a, a late evening flight, for example, you, you've, you've carried out most of your day one by the time you get home. And then if you could get a very rapid turnaround test on day five 
and have the results back, say, by lunchtime, you're free to go. So really, you might only have three full days of quarantine. Now, the industry has generally received this well. Uh, airline share prices are up today. But what Shea Vai said is whilst this is fine for the the leisure part of the sector, uh, for business travel, it's still not going to do very much because you're unlikely to take a typical short or business trip, um, for example, from the UK to the near continent, if it still means you've got four or five days uh, quarantine uh, when you get back. So what Shea Vice is advocating is we need to move away from a kind of test after arrival regime to test pre-departure. Um, and if that test is negative, then then you're free to just come and go um, as you please. My sense is the government um, is still some way away from this, frankly. More good news is that the cost of those tests are coming down, either directly or indirectly. Uh, Wizz Air have announced that they're going to uh, subsidise pre-departure testing for people who need that. And they're going to be charging, I believe, £85, uh, whereas the normal price from their provider would be £119. So it's all moving in the right direction, but I, I guess we've got to see this as um, as a bit of a journey rather than um, an instant fix. It, it's so interesting, isn't it? And the clarity of message that's coming out of the the industry now it, it, it's almost talking with a single voice isn't it that everyone understands yes the vaccine will be helpful but the vaccine isn't going to cure the problem at least in the short to medium term it has to be cheap reliable pre-departure testing that negates the requirement for quarantine and and that's the key to unlocking the aviation industry again it, it's just amazing that this doesn't seem to be being picked up at a political level yeah, I mean, it's, it's always difficult to speak with any confidence on that, Andrew, because the, the governments may well believe one thing and obviously uh, how they communicate that could be totally the opposite because they have all sorts of agendas that they have to satisfy. But certainly it's not for the want of lobbying by people like IASA and ACI, etc. Everybody is banging on that somehow we have to do away with the requirement for quarantining after you arrive. Um, we've got to get people back into a regime where the, the travel by air is just the same as it would be if you were traveling by bus or by train, uh, where you, you don't have to quarantine after um, taking those journeys. And speaking of someone who's an active lobbyist and not uh, not afraid to speak his mind, Michael O'Leary has been back in the news as well, hasn't he? Now, he's, he's been talking about what he thinks the recovery curve will be, but he's drawn a distinction, hasn't he, between when passenger numbers will come back, but when pricing will come back. Um, Graham, Chris, what, what's he been talking about and, and do we agree with what he's saying? That's an interesting question, Andrew. Michael O'Leary is traditionally very bullish and uh, somewhat outspoken, and he's dismissed talk um, around the industry of a lengthy recovery and predicts that airlines, indeed, uh, many airlines will bounce back much more quickly. And of course, he's talking first and foremost about Ryanair, his, his own carrier. And his view is that he expects the recovery to be driven by price, by low price, uh, and that that will bring passengers back very quickly. Uh, and to some extent, I think he's right uh, in the low-cost arena, in the short-haul arena, but he himself even admits that in the long-haul environment, for reasons we've talked about many times before, 
that won't quite be the same. Um, Ryanair, of course, is in probably one of the strongest positions of any airline anywhere in terms of its cash position, in terms of its fleet and market penetration. Uh, And it is well-placed to take advantage of lesser activity by its competitors to step in and sweep up some of the uh, opportunity that does arise, not least of which because it's sitting on a backlog of uh, near 200 Boeing 737 MAX aircraft that have uh, just been reauthorized for flight in the United States and shortly expected in Europe. Uh, And Ryanair uh, announced, I think, in October that they were expecting to have 40 of the 737 MAXs in service in time for the summer of 2021. So in addition to their existing fleet, they've got an expansion capability there uh, and at airports where their competitors are showing less activity. So I can understand O'Leary's bullishness, but perhaps it's very much focused around Ryanair and less around the industry as a whole. I think, Graham, that's absolutely the point we've made many times and here and and in other fora that, you know, forget about the industry. Um, The industry is the aggregation of what's going on at the company level. And as as you explained sort of very clearly here, uh, for Michael, with very low costs, um, with a flexible fleet, um, and uh, with uh, an, a, a management team that's able to react very quickly to opportunity, um, he's ideally placed. Same, same with Wiz. And just one thing on, um, you know, with Wiz, it's it's interesting as as Peter was mentioning the subsidised cost. But um, at eighty five pounds a head, the average revenue per passenger in the last quarter for each Wiz passenger was one hundred and twenty eight euros forty cents. So um, you know, taking your test is almost going to double or more than double your airfare. Uh, if you include ancillaries in that as well. But I think Michael's absolutely right. And, you know, we saw it in 2001 too, uh, when the only buyers of aeroplanes were Ryanair and EasyJet, and they got some staggeringly good deals and accelerated. And from 2001 too, or 2002 and beyond, what we saw was this new model come in and, it, you know, how short how short haul, um, uh, the short haul market in Europe became dominated by so-called low-cost airlines. You know, I don't like putting airlines in boxes. Um, we are broadly indi- increasingly indifferent to what we fly on. But if you have low cost, you're, you're going to benefit. And again, I think Michael's right. Uh, you look at what they're doing. They, we had a headline of you know um, about sort of more flights coming on the sleigh for Christmas, so there's another twenty or four flights for that. But we've got to be realistic that you know they made the they made the announcements that for the uh, November to um, March period, they expect the capacity to be about forty percent, which it was in October. And instead of having a ninety six percent low factor in October, their low factor was seventy three percent. So, you know, we've seen it, but we've seen other airlines as well. And um, we had EasyJet's uh, uh, annual report out um, this week, uh, or actually came out yesterday, uh, which I've just started going through. But uh, again, challenges for them because their costs are not quite uh, as low uh, as, uh, and they're a different, you know, slightly different market segment or different approach to um, EasyJet and uh, Ryanair. And against that background, we've we've seen a swap slot, um, a, a swap. Uh, of slots or actually a sale of slots, a, transa- a transaction involving slots, uh, the EasyJet slots at um, Stansted, where 312 pairs went from EasyJet to Ryanair, and it was EasyJet's exit from the market. Now, we'll have to wait to see until the next sets of figures come out, if at all, uh, or if they are reported, what the consideration was paid for those slots. But what's for sure uh, is the value of slots has come down um, massively, and um, it'll be interesting uh, to see uh, how much uh, money actually changed hands. But yeah, it's we've got to look at it at a company level, we've got to look at it at a market level, we've got to look at it even at a root level, and then aggregate that up. 
it's a message we keep coming back to is the worst thing you can do at the moment is generalize, isn't it? That there are, there are pockets of activity all, all over the place and it's identifying those. And that's where the real value lies. Um, Peter, we just talked about it there that the, the 737 MAX has been uh, certified to come back into the air. And then at the other end of the spectrum as well, we've seen that Emirates are announcing that they are going to complete the uh, the A380 orders. That Now, they had already committed to those, but they are going to complete these. Um, what do we think about both of those announcements, uh, especially the Emirates one? That, it didn't catch me by surprise, but I thought oh, that you could have seen that one fall away. Yeah, I mean, it's bucking the trend, isn't it, Andrew? Just about every other airline um, has mothballed its fleets of A380s. And in fact, some airlines have, have said that um, they're completely withdra- withdrawing them. Um, Emirates already has 115 aeroplanes. It has eight left on order. And Tim Clark, the president, has said they will um, take delivery of those eight aircraft as expected. I think one this month, one next month are the next two. And in the UK, we'll start to see more of those aeroplanes again. Emirates going back up to four daily A380s from Heathrow and more or less a daily flight from Manchester as well. And and they still see the aeroplane as uh, key to their business model. I was interested to read the first part of an interview today, uh, which was our colleagues in airlineratings.com who'd interviewed John Leahy, who was for a long time the Airbus industry chief commercial officer. And in many ways, he was the champion of the A380. And and he was being asked, you know, why that aircraft was was not more successful than it has been. Um, and it's well worth a read. He touches on issues of um, engine technology and whether the aircraft was um, over-engineered at the start in that some of the structure on board was, was meant to support a, a bigger A380, which in the end was never built. Some of it was built around what was expected to be an A380 freighter, which again was never built. So yeah, fascinating um, interview. On the 737 MAX, the FAA, who are responsible for certifying the aircraft in, in the USA, uh, they have said they're satisfied enough to do that, um, subject to airlines carrying out um, various modifications to aircraft which have already been delivered and also providing some additional uh, flight crew training. So American Airlines have said they expect to start flying the MAX um, in December and United Airlines have said they'll be uh, shortly behind that in the new year. So um, we look forward to those aircraft coming back into the skies, I guess, the big unknown, because you can only judge this by people spending their money, is what do the flying public think? Will there be a percentage of people who are reticent? We've talked a lot about anti-vaxxers on various podcasts recently. Maybe there'll be some anti-maxxers as well, but time will tell. Mm, it, it absolutely will. And, and that passenger confidence, you know, you know if, it's, if we're still struggling to get people to be confident to fly, to then get them to fly on the, the max. Uh, you could foresee challenges. But I suppose as we, we close out the show this week, um, we probably have the sad news around Norwegian Air that it, it's gone into administration. Um, Chris, we've been tracking this story for a while now. Um, so it was expected, but can we expect to see more, I suppose, is my question. 
But I think, uh, Andrew, you're, you're right. Um, you should never um, expect or you should always perhaps expect the unexpected or, or whatever. And uh, we're perhaps not surprised by developments. And yes, there will be more airlines that go into administration, unfortunately, more airlines that fail with all the consequences for jobs. Um, but I, I think we're also uh, in a phase of um, you know, what will be a moving market as the market begins to recover. Um, you know, there, there are opportunities of um, new, new airlines being set up to take advantage in, in, in dislocated markets. But in the case of Norwegian, um, yes, it entered Irish examinership um, on the 18th, I believe. And um, they said it's going to be a process that will take five months and we will see what emerges from it. Um, it's almost impossible to judge. But, you know, here, here was a market disruptor. Um, that um, grew um, you know, too quickly. It uh, it uh, had a lot of a lot of equipment, uh, and then you were looking for markets to put it in, and um, yeah, just too, too too much too quickly. And then uh, obviously uh, you know the sort of catastrophic effects of um, the impact of of COVID nineteen as it was uh, and wholly uh, an international carrier. And you know, it almost goes back to the point that you were mentioning before, that if you look at it market by market, we've seen actually you know, and parking and leaving China uh, on one side. Um, if you look at a number of domestic markets, we've seen good and strong growth, and that will continue. <coughs> and we're beginning to see, as we, as we see flight bubbles, flight corridors will get put in place, um, that will happen. But for Norwegian, it's about getting the right size and shape, and, and perhaps you know, they're being part of our business, which either is able <coughs> to stand in its own right, or um, gets uh, uh, it gets reshaped and resized, then becomes part of something else. So um, you know everybody's moving the pieces around the chessboard. Um, they're looking at new ideas. Um, we you know got a pretty good view of what aeroplanes cost. We have a very clear view of how many skilled people there are. But one point that was made at the IR AGM is just the enormity of getting the industry restarted uh, in scale again, and that goes from bringing airplanes into service, and it's a sort of Mag, um, uh, orders of magnitude difference than just getting the 737 MAX back into service. And as uh, one of those on the on the uh, conference this afternoon pointed out, that you have a lot of people who have been licensed to do things. So they've perhaps been act- inactive for a time. You have to get them back up um, to uh, able to satisfy and do what, what they, they have done uh, in the past. But at the same time, um, there's a recognition that a lot of expertise has left the industry uh, in uh, this shakeout. So um, different times. Uh, and um, I, I don't think uh, there's much, um, you know, in, in terms of on, on airlines that may fail, might fail, uh, are facing difficulty um, that uh, we should be surprised about. Indeed, if we look across the world, we see more airlines reporting. And the main message is that revenue is a fraction of um, uh, the costs uh, and uh, also that uh, the cash generation is, uh, is virtually non-existent as well. Unfortunately, we've been we have been tracking this story for a while, and it's not going to be the last of these stories that we follow here on the Five Era Podcast. Although it's it's a it's a sad way to end, but let's before we kind of draw the show to a close, there was one lighter news story around this uh, this past week. So if you're if you're stuck for a Christmas present, BA are selling off some of their excess stock, so you can have. You can have champagne flutes from the first class lounge. You can have bed linen. You can have blankets. Gents, I'm sure you already have all of this stuff in your uh, in your cabinets and in your wardrobes back at home. But will will you be going to buy some more for that special someone in your life? It's a good question, Andrew. Um, 
I bought some uh, BA first class crystal when they changed the design in 1990. And I have to say 30 years on, I've still got more than 95% of that. It was very <laughs> high quality. Um, it's resisted all, all um, attempts to break it. It's hardly scratched. Um, and speaking of scratching, um, BA's parent company's just announced a 5.6 billion pound loss. So I think selling off a few dinner plates is only going to make a, a scratch in that problem. I thought we were going to leave it on a positive note, but even there. Gents, it's been a fantastic show as always. Um, we will continue to monitor these and all of the stories that are going on in the aviation industry. And we will see you on the next episode. Gents, thank you and see you next time. Thanks, thank you Andrew. Very much. Cheers. Thanks, Andrew, very much.